0: What does God want for your life? It's a very important question. After all, if God is God in our lives, then, well, He's the one that we worship. He's worthy of our adoration and our praise. But more so than that, He is the one that we serve. He's God. He gets to call the shots. He gets to tell us who to be and what to do. He is the one whose desires we want to live out, even above and beyond our own. What does God want for your life? Now we're going to see it in today's passage. It's a passage that requires us to work hard and have to be switched on and pay attention as we go through it. And it has something to do with this picture. Uh, You might recognize that, a combine harvester out in the field collecting the harvest, and we'll see by the end of today what that picture has to do with what it is that God wants for our lives. But let's get straight into it. The point is this. uh, Paul, very helpfully, I wish more Bible passages had this in it, says in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians and verse 6, the point is this. The person who sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. There's the point. Be generous. Or in fact, more specifically, as we see here, be generous expecting to reap generously. How you are is how you will receive. What you do, are you stingy? Do you just keep it all to yourself? Well, in that case, you're going to reap very little. Are you generous? Are you overflowing? Are you gracious and kind and giving Then you could expect to reap a stack? Now, as I reflect on this verse, I realise that I struggle to believe it. I, I really do. And I struggle to believe it for a number of reasons. The first is, it really sounds like prosperity preaching. It sounds like the sorts of message that if you've been paying any attention to what we preach, we go on and on and on about as being bad and not true and anti-gospel and not faithful to Jesus. That's really what it sounds like. You reap, you sow generously, you give a lot and man, you are going to get a lot more back. Without context, it really sounds like the prosperity gospel. Well, as we'll see soon, though of course the text without a context is just a con. However, the second reason why I struggle to believe it is that it seems illogical. That doesn't make sense. How is it how could it be that the person who gives away the most has the most? Surely the person who gives away the most has the least. The stingy person, the one who who keeps it all to themselves, the person who, when they're out riding their bike, has to pick up 10 cent bottles, right? The the one who seeks every opportunity to increase their wealth, small or large, that's the person who's going to have the most, right? Who's going to be the most provided for. But you know what? It shouldn't surprise us that Paul has this verse here. The person who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will reap generously. This idea comes up time and again. In fact, we saw it halfway through last term as we were studying the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says something very similar. If you forgive, you will be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. Or you could read ahead into Matthew chapter 18 as Jesus tells the story of a servant whose master forgave him lots and then he went out and didn't forgive anybody and Jesus says with the measure you forgive will be forgiven you. This seems to be the way that God operates in the world. Not that it's mechanistic. Okay, not that it's a, a promise as in if you put the right inputs in you're gonna get out the correct outputs. But rather, it's a description of reality. This is a description of how the world works. It's a little bit more like a proverb than a promise. Right, you think about for a moment of some of the proverbs. Uh, was it, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Right? Store up for yourself in the spring and in the summertime when this crop is bountiful, so that when winter comes, you'll be well provided for. And you say, well... That's a description of how the world generally works. It's true. If you work hard and store up for yourself, then when hard times come, you will have something to live off. But that's no promise. That's no guarantee. That's not a, a, a mechanistic thing. It's not... After all, you could have a very large s and then the global financial crisis hits. right? And you're left with nothing. You're left destitute. It's a description of how the world works, not a promise as such. See, in the world under God, in the world that God operates, the generous receive generously back, the sparing receive little. Be generous, Paul says, expecting a return. Well, he moves from there to tell us, How to be generous? If we are to be generous, then how are we going to do it? And he says two things to us in verses 7 and 8. Firstly, he says, be considered. And secondly, be empowered by God. Be considered and be empowered by God. Look at the verse 7. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. How are we going to be generous? Well, firstly, Paul says, be considered, be thoughtful, have thought through, think, decide beforehand. It's very... It feels counter again, this passage is full of it, as I was reflecting on it, just felt counter to so many of my intuitions. See, I feel like genuine generosity has to come out of spontaneity, it has to be something that happens in the moment. But Paul says no, generosity is something you think through and something you decide in your heart. In fact. Having done that decision, made the thinking, but done the thinking beforehand, it safeguards against compulsion, against reluctance in giving. You think for a moment about a, little, a couple of little illustrations, a couple of examples. Imagine for a moment you're on holidays, and, uh, and you've gone to visit a different church. Now, uh, this might perhaps be pre-COVID days, but bear with me. Right, and you're out in the country somewhere and you think it's Sunday, I better go to church. You go and visit a little country town and you're sitting in the pew with the 15 saints who are there and gee, it's good. Right, you're welcomed warmly at the door. The people are lovely. The preacher gets up and you know what? He's doing a pretty good job of it and he's faithful to the word and the songs are uplifting and you're just feeling like God has come into your life. And the preacher finishes, the song begins and the plate starts coming around. Or, or maybe in the little country town, it's the the bag with the two handles, right? That one gets passed around. Now, what's the next thing that you do? Well, usually, oh, right, the plate. Uh, hang on, what have I got in my pocket? And, and the, the look in the coins section and, oh, maybe I better, there's a 20 there. That'll do that. That's good. It's not too much. I mean, I wouldn't want to go overboard here, but, you know, I'm, I'm putting something. I'll feel good about it. There's a 50 there as well, but we don't want to go too far, right? Am I being generous there? Well, not really. It's more a sense of guilt, a sense of obligation that I'm giving at that point. It's more because I'm seeing everybody else put in and there's only 15 of us in the room. If I don't put in, man, they're going to see, they're going to know. I'm going to feel bad. How much different would it be if before going I'd thought to myself, I'm going to a little church. I want to make sure that their gospel ministry flourishes. I'm gonna decide in my own heart what I'm cheerfully going to give them. I wanna bless them. I wanna make sure that their ministry can continue. I have an abundance. I'm gonna give them a decent amount of cash. Imagine you pulled up at the lights and uh, and it's a Red Cross appeal and there are the volunteers with the little buckets, right, at the window of your car. Can you give us some money? What are you going to do? Oh, what, what coins have I got? Put something in if it rattles all the better and you drive off with the, with the warm glow of having done something good. Or even worse, perhaps you didn't put anything in and for the rest of the day, you feel like you're a horrible human being who hates children and kicks puppies. That's not generosity. That's peer pressure. That's being coerced. That's not cheerful giving. That's reluctantly giving. No, Paul says, be considered. Think about it. And he says, each one should do as he has decided in his heart. You'll notice we don't have a church uh, set fiscal policy that we expect our members to be giving X amount to this and X amount to that. And if they're not making their own individual budgets, we're in trouble. No, each person decides, but decide. So I really like... The envelopes. I don't know if you've even seen that we have them. Eight o'clockers, they love them. They're brilliant. You can get a pack of 52 envelopes. So I'm, I think it might be, even be 54 because there's one for Easter and one for Christmas, right? And, uh, and we've got ones that have two halves and one half is church giving and one half is CMS giving. And you just decide at home beforehand, you put your money in there, you come to church, no one knows how much you're giving. You could put an empty envelope in if you want. No one would ever know it was you. And there's no pressure on you to do it. You can think about it beforehand. If you miss a week, the envelope's there. It helps you remember and catch up. I really, really like them. I almost prefer them, and don't tell the wardens I said this because they're going to hate me for it, but I almost prefer them to electronic giving. Now, electronic giving is fantastic for regularity, and it helps us plan. Please don't stop if you're doing it. But the envelopes mean week to week you have to think, consider, cheerfully put your money in there and bring it to church. Perhaps if you're doing the electronic giving, you might want to work out some way of being intentional. It's not just set and forget. I've set it to direct debit and I never have to think about it again. Maybe once or twice a year, we need to sit and rethink it, reevaluate, and consider. See, that will safeguard against compulsion. It will safeguard against reluctance. We're not caught out in the moment under pressure. How do we give? We give thoughtfully, but we also give empowered by God. Again in verse 8, God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. You see, generosity, both the means and the desire to be generous, come from God. They are a gift that He gives. And a gift that He gives that is greater than anything we could think of. Come back to chapter 8 and verse 3. I don't know if this stood out to you last week, but it, it stood out to me. I can testify that, uh, Paul writes, according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us for the privilege of sharing. Did you notice that? Beyond their ability. How is that even possible? How could it be that beyond, they gave beyond what they were able to give? Well it doesn't make sense unless you realise that God was the one at work. We start to see the deeper truth. You see, I sometimes find myself doubting that the sort of generosity that God wants from me is good. I find myself doubting because I feel well, but hang on, then I will be left destitute. Then I will be in trouble. Then I won't have enough. I find myself doubting that God is able, forgetting that God has promised that he will provide all that is needed, the grace overflow that we may excel in every good work. And did you notice that that's the reason God doesn't provide it that I might be rich. God isn't able to give me everything for the sake of me. God is able to give us everything for the sake of every good work. You see, in giving generously, God will give us such generosity that we will be able to do even more generous things. It's the opposite of a vicious cycle. It's a virtuous cycle. We are generous, God provides that our generosity might increase and as our generosity increases, God provides and this includes money. Why in the context clearly Paul is talking about money. But again, not money to make me richer, money in order to do good and not just money. If we think that's only what he's talking about, we've missed the point. Again, look at verse 8. Notice how many times the word every is repeated. God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. All that we need, time, energy, motivation, desire, money, possessions, experiences, everything that we need, given in such a way that we can excel in every good work. Will you? Will you believe this? Will you believe this truth, that God is able to do more than us? I mean, it sounds obvious when we put it that way, doesn't it? Of course God is able to do more than us. But do you therefore believe that God can make us do more than we are able to? I hope that you do. I hope that you take that to heart this week. For without God, what righteousness could we have? Without him, we'd be lost. And so Paul says, as he tells us to be generous, as he tells us how to be generous, he tells us why. There's more to it than just, no, you should do it. God doesn't just tell us to do it. He shows us why. And again, there's two reasons for generosity, for our sake and for God's sake. Have a look at verse 10. For our sake, he says, the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your Righteousness, you will be enriched in every way for all generosity. See, here's the point of reaping generously. It is the harvest of righteousness. If you hear a prosperity gospel preacher, if you hear somebody who says, what God wants is for you to have lots of money, for you to be healthy, wealthy and wise... They've missed the point. What God wants is your righteousness. That God, what God wants is that you would be more like Him. I mean, think for a moment. What is God's character like? Alright, well let's pick a famous verse, John 3.16. What is God like? For God so loved the world that He gave. That's what God is like. He gave and at what cost? He gave his only son that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Or just from last week, chapter 8 and verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich for your sake he became poor, that by his poverty you might become rich. That is the character of God, generosity, grace abounding, overflowing, mercy to the undeserving and the needy kindness at incredible cost to himself that is God's character and that is the character he wants us to have imagine for a moment if there was a way I don't know how but imagine there was a way that you could bring a thousand dollars to church and we could somehow exchange that thousand dollars for godliness You could come to church, you give that money, and you leave with 10% more godliness. You'd take that in a flash. I mean, that is cheap at the price. Godliness is hard. I mean, what's the point of having money, of having wealth, of having resources, and not having righteousness, of not being like God? How much better to use that wealth? to be transformed into Christ-likeness. What a shame it would be to die with a full bank account, full of money, and yet with a heart full of greed. What a waste it would be to die with a bank full of money and a heart full of greed. There's no exchange rate in heaven. You you can't bring all your dollars and three floating angels to the dollar or whatever it is. The money is gone. It's wasted. It's pointless. Use it now to bring about a harvest of righteousness. I take it it's why the Corinthians were so eager to give. Back in verse 2 of chapter 9, I know your eagerness, I boast about you to the Macedonians, your zeal has stirred them up. These guys were excited at the prospect of having an opportunity to use their wealth for the good of others, producing in them righteousness and a growth in their own generosity and Christ-likeness. An opportunity to convert earthly dollars into heavenly character, What a deal. Why are we going to be generous? Because it will produce in us a harvest of righteousness. That is what God wants. But we also do it for God's sake. See, in the end, what God wants for your life is that because of you, He will be praised is that because of how you live, he will be glorified, as it is apparent and evident and unmistakable that the character you have could only be from him. You see, in verse 11, as he continues, chapter 9 and verse 11, you will be enriched, he says, as they have this harvest of righteousness, you will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service, verse 12, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, it's a good thing to care for them, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. As they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. You see, this is the end result. We care for the needy. That's a brilliant thing. And they thank God and praise God and glorify God because of us. I mean, you picture it for a moment, being these poor, starving, destitute saints in Jerusalem, deep, deep need. This gift arrives. Sack full of money, a, a provision that you could never imagine they would have sent. Can you imagine as that comes into church, you're like, man, we need to thank God for this. Heavenly Father, thank you for them. Heavenly Father, thank you for the character you have produced in these Corinthians. This gift, that this wouldn't have come of their heart. This wouldn't have come out of somebody who was unmoved by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This would not have come from somebody who had not been a recipient of grace. That in turn they might be a giver of grace. The point, the point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will reap generously? What's your heart like? Are you a sparing sower? Or does your heart overflow with grace, with kindness, with generosity, that in turn you might reap a harvest of righteousness for yourself and abundant praise and glory to God? You see, what is our our picture from right back? Well, here it is, right? The harvest, the harvest of both righteousness in us, character in us, godliness in our own lives and praise and glory and honour to our God. In fact, it's not so much just this. It's more like we, we want to have two harvesters going. No, no, you know what? We want this size harvest. This is what we want to be like. This is the picture we aim for. Generosity that overflows such that God will provide that generosity might overflow even more. That we will grow like Him and that He will be praised for it. I'm a, uh, I'm a descendant of farmers. Uh, my father grew up on the farm, although he he, he came to the city and so I'm a, I'm a city boy, but generations before me, my uncle's still on the land. And it's funny what happens with seed. You see, you take a certain amount of seed, you take whatever seed you have and you plant it. In a sense, you get rid of it, you give it away, you, you bury it in the ground and it's gone. And yet in God's timing, as he sends the rain and the sun, it grows And in fact, it provides enough seed that you can take some and make bread and eat it. You can take some and sell it. You can even then have left the amount you started with and plant it again. And once again, you get this bountiful crop. As God gives, let us be generous, overflowing in grace like God was to us. Now, I have five points of application to finish with. They're quick, they're brief. Five points. Number one, take stock. Do do an audit. Firstly, of your heart, that's what really matters. But maybe doing an audit of your giving and your, well, even giving is not that useful. Your generosity. In all that that encapsulates, it's not just, do I once a week put some money in the plate? Do I once a month send some money to CMS? That's why I say it's got to be your heart that you audit. Are you somebody who delights in caring for others, who delights in using what God has given you for kingdom growth? Take stock. Secondly, consider. Stop and consider. Consider the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider the one who, though he was immeasurably rich, became poor for your sake. And then consider yourself, are you like him? As you've taken stock, as you've considered, as you've thought about what you have and what you might give, as you might be generous, then decide. Think about it. Make a decision. And may that decision help you to give cheerfully. I love, I love funding gospel work. I love it. I love hearing how the money that we have sent is used by others to bring about kingdom growth. I love hearing stories of people converted. They're just the best, right? Those who were destined for hell, those who were headed to eternal condemnation, being brought and rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his word and made my brothers and my sisters love it. I love hearing stories about how gospel workers are being raised up and leaders trained. I love hearing stories about how pastors and preachers are being equipped to take the gospel to the Lord Jesus Christ. I love doing that. In some ways, the Christian heart ought to be sad at having to keep some. We have some responsibilities. I have a family to feed. I have to keep some money to feed them. I have to keep some money to be prudent. I'm sad that I can't use it all for gospel and kingdom growth. Decide. Fourthly, give. Having made your decision, don't just sit on it. Oh, one day. Yep, next next week, next month, next year. Oh, I keep forgetting. Now notice, I haven't told you how much. I haven't given you any numbers, I haven't given you a percentage. You go and work it out, you go and decide, you go and make a decision. Although, can I encourage you to remember last week's talk, right? and Joe's reminder that the Christian dollar is a very valuable commodity, can I encourage you to make sure that your money is going to kingdom growth? Meet your responsibilities cheerfully and fully, and then out of your abundance, give so much more. Take stock, consider, decide, give, and fifthly, expect. Be on the lookout for the harvest of righteousness that God will bring. Be on the lookout for his increase of generosity in your life as he provides everything you need that you might excel in every good work, resulting more and more and more in the praise of God's glory, of God's character that we get to share. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, who though he was rich, became poor, that out of his poverty we might gain. Father, thank you for the life that we have because of it and thank you for the transformation you do in us, that character that belongs to you and that you share with us. Thank you. Please keep working in us. We still fail, we are still frail, we are still greedy and selfish and we want to be more and more like you. We want you to be praised because of us. And so please make us generous. Thank you for the provision you have already given. Thank you for the riches we already so abundantly enjoy. And Father, would you make us aware of those riches And then would you give us the courage and the ability to decide that we might in turn be so generous with those around us. Father, we look forward to the harvest of righteousness in our individual lives, in our church life, as by your power and by your ability, you make us generous even beyond what we are able. Father, please would you raise up through us gospel workers, Would we fund many men and women to take the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in our area, in our church, to the ends of the earth? Father, would you make us good at caring for those who are in need, providing for the ones who are hungry, who are destitute, who are currently facing times of crisis? Father, would you make us like the Lord Jesus, that out of our riches, We, in turn, would become poor as we give, as we share, as we are like you. Father, we love your character and we want to share in it. We love you and we thank you for your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.